I have a question for you this morning. What do you think I'm up here for? Not that I've forgotten. <laughs> but sometimes I, I think a lot of people think my role is to get up uh, and preach the Word of God so that you can watch what I'm preaching and listen to it and say, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah I always knew that. But that's not actually my role up here. My role up here is to make you uncomfortable, to actually challenge what you think you've already known, to actually think about what you've done in the past and possibly to affect change. You see, change is... Who, who loves change? Who's lying? We, we all, we all recognise the need for it. It reminds, there's, a, there's a story in the Netherlands. Who knows that the Netherlands or Holland, most of the land area of the Netherlands is under sea level. And that to actually reclaim that land, they had to build huge stone dikes to keep the sea out. And there is a statue somewhere in Holland, I'm not sure where it is, of a little boy. <laughs> it's probably underwater, yeah. <laughs> of a little boy with his finger in a dike. And it's a, it tells the heroic story of how this little boy saved the, the nation of Holland because as he was walking along the dike, he noticed that it had started to leak. And he knew that if he left that leak going, the little leak would turn into a large leak and that leak would weaken the wall and the dike would crumble and the whole of the country would become flooded. So he stood there and he stuck his finger in the dike. And he stood there, and I can't remember for, for how long he, he stood there, but he stood there until somebody came along and said, what are you doing with your finger? And, <laughs> and recognised that, that they needed to repair the dike. But he, he is a folk hero in Holland because without his quick action, the, the country could have been destroyed. And I think... The interesting thing about that is, although the boy is, is a hero and there's a statue for him, the, the permanent solution to their problem was not him sticking his finger in the dike. That was actually a temporary solution until what could they do? They could repair the dike. Now the trouble is, I think as Christians, we come to the problems we face in the world, we come to the the scriptures, the, the, the knowledge of what the Word of God says, we come to the idea of church and community, and we face our little problems, and because of our, our knowledge of scripture, because of our, our desire to please God, often we find our problem, and we stick our finger in the dike. But the trouble is we stand around there saying, look, look at what I'm doing. I'm a good Christian, I've got my finger in the dike. I'm saving that little leak from getting any worse. But the trouble is, that's not the answer to our problems. We need to fix the dike. And to do that, sometimes we have to get our finger out and actually do something about repairing it. But that requires a change in our thinking because we often get the feeling that as individuals, we're important because we're the ones who found the hole and stuck our finger in the dike. But in reality, we need to actually change our attitude, do something together and recognise that the problems that we are designed to actually overcome are bigger 
than our personal problems. And so that's, that's, that's just an introduction. That's not even part of my message. Um, but I, I wanted to get you ready for the idea that what I want to present this morning is change. It's something uncomfortable. I, I want to challenge you to think a way that you might not have thought before. Now, the only problem is that if I give you something that you're already thinking of, you're going to think, oh, well, that's not new. I already thought that. Uh, in that case, uh, if that's you, uh, you're free to go and get a coffee early and uh, not to worry about what I'm, what I'm saying. But I'm hoping that most of you have the sort of mindset that I have about the Word of God, about the idea of church. And so I'm hoping that this will actually stir something inside all of us and, and just change something inside of us to enable us to do something a little differently. Who knows that when, when we change how we think, when we, we change our perception of what God wants for us or what God's plan is, that they're not big changes. It's not like suddenly, whoa, I've been going in completely the wrong direction. I have to do a 180 and go somewhere else. It's more a course correction. Oh, perhaps I'll do this slightly differently. So I'm not asking you to suddenly sit there and go, oh, mind blown. Wow, I'm going to go out today and change my whole life. That's, that's not what this is about. But it's actually about looking at things differently so that over time there's a cumulative effect which changes how we act, how we feel, and, and what we believe. So specifically, I want to get us all thinking about this morning, how we perceive the value of the church community. Now, who would agree with me that value is often dependent upon our perception of how valuable something is to people who are important to us? In other words, you know, Pastor Phil Pringle, who is the um, leader of the C3 movement, if he decides that something is important, it makes me think, well, perhaps I should listen to what Pastor Phil is doing because he's somebody who uh, I admire. He's my leader. He's my, my um, inspiration in a lot of things regarding the, the kingdom of God. I should perhaps listen to what he's saying. And so what he deems of value, I often take on board and think of as valuable as well because he's important in my life. But as Christians... Who should we be looking to for cues as to what is valuable in our life beyond Pastor Phil? Any? any? Exactly. We're followers of Jesus. We're, we're, we worship and we praise God. We did that this morning in our, in our worship. And so we should be looking to Jesus for cues of what is actually important to him. Now, the reason I've introduced it that way this morning is because during the week, I, was, uh, I happened to be watching a, a YouTube video about a discussion of faith. Uh, and one of the participants in this discussion was an Orthodox priest sitting there in, in you know, the round black hat and, and the gowns and the big cross on, on the front. And uh, it wouldn't normally be something I'd do sort of seeking the, the opinion of, a, of a, an Orthodox priest, but it was, a, it was an interesting discussion. And he was, he was quite interesting when he was talking, because he was revealing, uh, and this is in the United States, but he was revealing that as he walked around uh, in the US, he is often accosted in his full priestly garb by militant evangelical Christians who not only question his salvation, but his knowledge of scripture. And, in, and he, he, he felt slightly offended 
by this. He said, look, you know, I don't dress up like this just for the fun of it. This is, this is a, a sign of my office that I hold, and I take it very seriously. And I believe in the salvation through belief in Jesus Christ, and I happen to know the, the scriptures pretty well. And he said, so what I do, rather than answering their often accusatory queries, he instead asks them some key questions. And the first question he asks them is, what is more important, the church or the scriptures? And he said, in that, invariably, he, he, he get people who respond very vehemently with an answer. What, I mean, you don't have to yell it out. What do you guys think? You know, if you had to choose, what's more important? The church or the scriptures? You know, the, the Bible, the word of God. Is that more important than the church or is the church more important than the Bible? But he said, you know, people get really angry about this and, and say, you know, come on. This is, this is the Bible. This is something that is, is so important that, that there is, can't be anything more important than the word of God. And I was thinking, yeah, well, I guess I agree with that. It's pretty, the scripture is pretty important. But the next question he asked them is, okay then, what came first, the church or the scriptures? What do you think? Because if you think about it, if the scriptures came first, we'd, ha we'd have an origin story of some young boy in the desert finding a clay jar and smashing it open. Inside he discovers this black book and inside it, it said, Bible never. <laughs> and he read it and he thought, wow, this is a great book. I should start a religion based on this book. And the church sprang from that. But guess what happened? Jesus came and he didn't start a Bible class. He didn't even start a Bible. He started the church. The church had actually been in existence. If we just take the New Testament, the church was in existence for 70-odd years before people began to collect the letters and write down the Gospels to preserve them. And it was over 300 years before the Bible as we know it was out and put together as what we call our, the New Testament, our Christian scriptures. And so I can hear you say now, but hang on, the Old Testament talks about times way beyond, you know, the family of Abraham and the nation of Israel. Yeah, it talks about them. But when was it written? Well, people don't actually know. <laughs> but it was probably written around the time of Moses. In fact, Moses may well have written a lot of it. Because you, you, th you think of the predicament Moses is in. He's got this group of freed slaves. They've been freed by a God that they barely know. They certainly don't know the history of how they got into Egypt and how they became enslaved. And so the, the, the Old Testament was written to inform the people of Israel about what had gone before. But it wasn't written before. It was a collection of oral stories and, and other um, things that were brought together to help them form the nation of Israel, which is basically the Old Testament equivalent of church. And so, if the church was first, what does that possibly mean? It's fairly 
important to God. Think of it like this. Let me use the example of a car. You have been gifted a car, which is a marvelous piece of engineering. Let's say it's a Porsche. But it's an old Porsche because there are no electronics in it because most people don't know how to play with electronics in a car. But the, this Porsche is something that, say, God has given it to you. And he says, you must keep this Porsche working for future generations. And it's got to be in perfect working order for future generations. And you're looking at this Porsche thinking, what the, I mean, how am I going to keep this going? And God says, and to help you do that, I will give you the manufacturer's instruction manual. <laughs> and you think, oh, phew. And so you read the manual, and the manual details every nut and bolt and uh, rubber bush and everything and, you know, the, the, the hood ornament and the mirrors and everything. How to take it apart, how to put it back together, how to repair it, how to get new parts. And, and it details all the things you need on every component in the car to keep it not only running for you, but you can also pass that information on to the next generation so that they can maintain the car, so that the car always works perfectly. Now, the manual is essential for the well-being of the car because without it, the car will fall into disrepair and eventually stop functioning. But ask yourself this, what has the greater value the car or the manual? Well, I don't know what your thought is, but my, the car. The manual can't take you anywhere. But the car, you can get behind the wheel, you can take people places, you can go down the highway, you can, you can visit wherever you want. It's a marvellous invention. You know, you can go, well, it's a Porsche, so you can go really fast. Um, you're driving very carefully with seatbelts on and all the rest. Um, but the thing is that the valuable thing that we've got is the, is the car. The manual is essential, but it's not the thing that has the greater value. It's there to help us keep the car going. Now, let's not get carried away with the analogy. The Bible is far more than just an instruction manual and should not be treated in such a cavalier manner as to just think of it as a book of instructions. It is a far richer resource than that. But... If we envisage and if we recognise that the scriptures are a gift to help us be the church that Jesus envisaged, I think our perspective of the Bible changes somewhat. I mean, even some of the scriptures that we are very familiar with. I mean, Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And if we look at the uh, version in Mark, chapter 16, it says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. What was the good news? Hello, I have a gift pack here with a coffee voucher and a Bible. <laughs> was that the good news that Jesus wanted to preach? Or did he go out and say, obey the commands that I have given them, the disciples? Uh, they're written down in that book. What were the commands that Jesus gave the disciples? Were they written anywhere? Were they part of scripture? Jesus actually didn't teach them any scripture. 
Mainly because all the disciples, I don't know whether you know this, and I hope this is not, you know, I wasn't trying to blow you out of the water with this information, but they were all Jewish. <laughs> and they actually knew a fair bit about the scriptures. So if you look through the, the, the gospel, Jesus didn't spend time teaching people anything about the Old Testament. Now, he used the Old Testament all the time. But he taught them things like love, mercy, compassion, healing, community. He used the scriptures that he knew and that they knew to actually change the way they thought about how they treated other people. Also, how they thought about God, because Jesus came so that we could have a relationship with God, which wasn't dependent upon, upon temporary things like animal sacrifices and temples and, and things like this. And so he actually built the car, if you like, the church. And so, and, it, and we can look at the book of Acts, we can see what the early church devoted themselves to. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to reading the Bible. No, it doesn't say that. It says they d devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And what did the apostles teach? They taught what Jesus had told them about how to be a community. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, note, they didn't ignore the Scriptures. Verse 46 says they worshipped together at the temple each day met in and met in homes. And in the temple, just as, remember, Jesus went into the temple, read from the scroll of Isaiah. Every day they went to the temple, they would have heard the word of God. It would have been, the scrolls would have been read. So it's not like, script, don't get me wrong, scripture is not irrelevant. We're not throwing scripture out. What I'm thinking is that as modern Christians... I think we've elevated scripture above the church. We've elevated the word of God. Did you know that for, I mean, it's been around 2,000 years. But up until about five, 600 years ago, most people who called themselves Christian couldn't read. And so most of them actually didn't give much of a stuff about scripture, except what they'd heard from people who could read. And so... The community of church was actually far more important because it was something that was, was real to them, something solid that they could get their hands on. They could actually understand what the commands that Jesus had given them were practically all about and do those. Did you know that the first person, uh, not sure whether it was Darby or the guy before him, who first translated uh, the uh, Latin Bible into English, uh, was threatened with execution. I'm not sure whether they actually did execute him or not. For heresy. Now the thing we look at as freely available to everybody, to translate it into the English language was considered such a heretical thing to do that they, they, they wanted to kill him. So much for letting everybody have a Bible. <laughs> you read this, you die. And so th there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference in our thinking here if we recognise that the most important thing to God, the most important thing to Jesus was the church. And I think we've elevated scripture to a position above the church where we think that the church is there to serve the scriptures. 
So I think if we, if we tweak our thinking just a little bit and recognize the church does not exist to teach people scripture. Scripture exists to show people how to be the church. So we need to... You, you, you're very quiet. You're either all asleep or you've left for coffee because this was stuff you already thought, yeah, that's, that's what I believed. That's what I've always done. I've always put the church first. Or you're thinking about it. Guess what this week is? This week is dinner party week. I want to challenge you. How about as we come around the table in dinner parties, there are some questions we could ask each other. Because I'm not here to give you the answers. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to stop in about 60 seconds. And I'm not give, going to give you any answers as to, you know, what should we do about that? But we need to work that out. This, this isn't a thing like, oh, okay, now we're thinking this way. Let's, let's go and change our doctrine. Let's go and change our behavior. It's, it's, it's not about making decisions. I'm not here to tell you what to do, mainly because I don't know what to do. Because we need to discuss this. This is a community thing. This is why community is important. The church is the heart of Jesus. It is the love of God. So we could ask each other, how does valuing the church more change our perception of Scripture? Who's got a favorite verse? might be good to bring that to dinner party this week and say, okay, let's read this verse and let's interpret it in light of the fact that God thinks the church is the most important thing, the, the plan A of what he wants to do on planet Earth. How does that scripture change its meaning if I look at it from that perspective rather than from a personal perspective? How should we be applying scripture differently in our lives? Could be people who say, well, I don't read the Bible much. Um, how can I use it to actually benefit my life in church? I mean, that, that's not a, a trite question to ask because people, people only read the Bible if they see a value in it. Otherwise, it's just a religious observance. Yes, I read my Bible every day. What are you reading at the moment? Um, uh, Leviticus 3.10. You finding it interesting? Nope. In that case, take my advice, listen to the Bible Project podcast on that because it's the only place I've ever found Leviticus made interesting, let me tell you. They are, they are miracle workers just for that. Um, but, you know, this is, this is why we have dinner party. It's community where we can gather together and discuss the importance of what, who we are as a community and how we can actually use Scripture to build that because out of that, you know... Um, Paul said, it's somewhere in the Bible, I can't whether Paul or Jesus said it, um, but he said, people will know you by your love for one another, not for how well you quote scripture, which is a good thing, because I'm crap at it, but, um, but it, it, it's a heart thing. Let's be, let's be Christians who are actually willing to take our finger out of the dike, which solves our immediate problems and combine with other people to actually repair the whole thing so that it is something that is powerful, persuasive and important in our lives.